Welcome to the Ordinary Pastor Podcast with Jeff Perswell, a podcast to help pastors connect theology to local church life. And now here is Jeff with your host, Mickey Connolly. All right, well, welcome back to the Ordinary Pastor Podcast. And once again, we're privileged to have Denny Burke, the president of the Council of Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, and our own Jeff Perswell. And so, Jeff, uh, I just want to turn it over to you and pick up where we left off last month. Yes, well, for, if, if the guys weren't listening to the last one, we were talking about the Nashville Statement uh, that was issued last month by uh, the Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, which Denny serves as president and was behind that statement. Um, if you want to hear some of the history of that uh, and Denny's pivotal role in that, I would encourage you to listen to the last podcast. So we're just going to hop back in. We were talking about the um, the purpose of the statement and how it is intended. It's It's not a... Uh, it's not a culture war statement. It's not let's get in the culture's face statement. It's there to equip pastors. It's there to equip uh, average Christians, normal Christians, with with biblical teaching on this area. Um, and uh, I I praise God that it's serving that purpose. Uh, I know um, it, it, it does occur to me, and I and I've actually heard this kind of response to it for the person who says, "Okay, you know, I believe this. Uh, I, I think this is true." But to put it out there, to make such a statement, uh, it, it just doesn't seem kind. You know, I, I know people with, these, with struggles. You know, they don't need my, me declaring biblical truth. They need my understanding. They need my care. I mean, shouldn't we just be more kind to people? Is, is this really uh, the, the best way to approach it? How, how do you respond to that sort of sensitive soul uh, who, who has that kind of question about the statement? Well, the first thing you want to say is, is when it comes to our uh, Christian relationship to the world, we're not holding a stiff arm up to sinners, gay, straight, or otherwise, and saying, we don't want you. Mm, uh, our message is our arms are wide open, and we want you to come to Jesus and be saved. Mm. And we want any sinner who will come. The invitation is to one and all. So our message to the world is one of grace and one of hope, and it's for people who are refugees of the sexual revolution and who are, who are broken right now. But what's, what's, where we're having problems right now within the church is, is that a lot of um, Christians and churches, frankly, are forgetting what the church has always taught about these issues. And what we've always taught about these issues is not that God's way and his design is bad for us, but that it's good for us. Right. And we're not being loving to people. We're not being helpful to people if we somehow give the impression that God's design for them is bad for them. So we are trying to call people to life. We're trying to call them to flourishing, not away from it. And, you know, First um, Corinthians uh, thirteen six says that love always rejoices in the truth. Mm-hmm. So if we're going to love people as, as Jesus tells us to love, we've got to call them in a way that's consistent with, with the truth. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the gospel is, is our appeal to the world, and we want to do it in a way that reflects God's design for us. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Yeah, I, that's one of the things I really appreciate about this statement. It, it didn't remain in the, in the realm of ethics. It, it pointed people to the gospel. Um, and, you know, the alternative... To this kind of thing, the alternative to speaking is silence, uh, to, to withhold biblical truth. It, and there is no hope apart from biblical truth. There is no hope from the gospel. Uh, God's word gives hope. 
as you were saying, uh, the gospel gives hope. So however well-intentioned I think that kind of perspective might be, it, it really proves to be, I think, unkind at the end of the day. Well, you know, and, and really the statement itself, we intended it to end on a crescendo of what the hope of the world is. The last article the statement says, we affirm that Christ Jesus came into the world to save <laughs> sinners and that through Christ's death and resurrection, forgiveness of sins and eternal life are available to every person who repents of sin and trusts in Christ Jesus alone as Savior, Lord, and supreme treasure. We deny that the Lord's arm is too short to save or that any sinner is beyond his reach. Mm, excellent. That, that's our message. Yeah. And that's not peculiar to the Nashville statement. That's just what every Christian in every age has. That's been our appeal to the world. Mm, excellent. Um, let's, the guys who are listening to this podcast, as, as I told you, are, are pastors. Um, let's speak to them directly. Would you, would you encourage a pastor to sign a statement? They can. They can go to NashvilleStatement.com and, and sign the statement if they want. But as I said in the, the previous episode, um, the number of signatories is not the point. Mm-hmm. What I'd really like pastors to do is to figure out a way to put this in front of their people and to use it as a, as a teaching yeah. uh, device. You know, uh, I've already heard, been hearing back about how different pastors and ministries are using this. Um, but one of the ways that people have been using it is just simply by a, a pastor getting before the people and reading through the text, explaining what it means, and then showing from Scripture how this is emerging from actual scriptural teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, I just listened to a, uh, a podcast last week, one of the world's foremost um, uh, leading apologists, William Lane Craig. That's, that's all he did. He just read each of the articles. He said, this is why I think this is correct and, 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 and why I think it's consistent with Scripture. I, you know, th- that's really a simple thing that people can do, and I think it would actually be a helpful thing. And it will get conversations going that probably need to be happening in churches. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Yeah, you anticipated one of my questions as, as how a local church might make use of this statement. Uh, have you guys done anything uh, with it at, at at Kenwood, are you thinking about that? Um, we haven't we haven't done any f- anything formal yet, except that everybody knows what I've been involved in. Yes. <laughs> so this is not a, a thing under wraps at uh, at our church. I will say this: um, we are um, we're making actually just little brochures that are trifold things that churches, if they want to use these, CBMW, and, and CBMW is making them. And so if you contact us, we're, we're able to send out those in, in bulk. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we did that with the Danvers Statement for years, but now it's, we've got them uh, coming for, for the Nashville Statement Excellent. as well. Excellent. Yeah, that's very good. One, one thing I, I would say on the should a pastor sign, and it's, it's, it's not about, like you said, signing, but I, I do think that if a person knows their pastor has signed it or they see their pastor making use of it, it signals to them this must be important. Mm-hmm. And, and if they're confused or, or even negatively disposed, it provides an opportunity for discussion and for explanation. Um, and, and I think, I mean, given the pervasiveness, as, as you know better than I, in, uh, in our culture, in the media of this conversation, past, people need pastors to provide the biblical perspective on these issues. Uh, they're not going to get that. <laughs> they're not going to get that at work. They're not going to get that in the neighborhood. They're not going to get that at school. So um, I'm just speaking to our pastors. I think it's vital for pastors to be clear on this and to assume that their people need clarity. 
Don't assume that they are clear. Don't assume that they are well-versed in the biblical perspective. In fact, assume they're not. Don't assume conviction. Uh, I, I think we should assume a degree of confusion. That, that does raise a question for the pastor who says, you know what, I'm a gospel guy. Uh, I just want to preach the Bible. Um, I, I don't want to distract from the main thing. Uh, why should I involve myself in issues of controversy? Why should I distract my congregation from the, the God's Word and the preaching of the gospel, especially when it's going to be costly? Um, I, I, just want to, I just want to teach the Bible. What, what do you say to, to, that kind of, to that kind of question? It's impossible to be a faithful pastor without talking about these things. Yes. And anybody that's been a pastor for any amount of time knows that almost everything, everything there is to do in counseling, in dealing with real people and the real issues that they have, it has to do with marriage. It has to do with broken sex stuff. Mm -hmm. um, it has to do with disordered um, passions and confusion about these precise things. So there's no way to get around to this issue. Um, you could, there, If you try to run and hide from it, it's coming to find you, mm -hmm. in, unless you don't have any people in your church. If you're dealing with people, <laughs> you're going to be dealing with these issues, That's and right. you're not going to help them if you're not coming from a place of Christian conviction. And so it doesn't help to be unclear about this when a kid comes to you and says, I'm feeling these attractions. I don't know where they're coming from, and I, I need to know what I'm supposed to do with it. Mm -hmm. What do you going to say to that kid? Um, you've, you have to have the gospel for that kid, and you've got to have, hey, this is the way you follow Jesus. The world is telling you to go this way. If you follow that, it's going to take you away from Jesus. Right. But I'm telling you the way to walk with Jesus. Here's what sexual holiness looks like for you with these disordered attractions. So, you know, when, when a pastor says something, I'm going to keep away from these, these controversial issues, to me it's the same thing as saying I'm going to keep from pastoring. Yeah, well said. And it also, I mean, to, to, help, to help that kid, in addition to, along with pointing them to the gospel, being, in, being equipped and, and understanding these issues helps you to help him, helps you to explain. Yeah. Uh, here's what's happening. It's not mysterious. Yeah. And it's not something strange. It's, it's, it's the effects of sin. Uh, God has made creation very good. You're experiencing a distortion. We all experience distortion. Absolutely. So I, I think you can give hope. To, to people, not only with an ultimate answer, but also to, to just help them uh, understand what's, what's happening to them, help them understand what they're experiencing. Um, I love what you said. Uh, <laughs> this is coming at you. Um, and I would imagine all of our guys have, have had it come at them. Um, speaking of coming at them, um, at the meeting uh, where the national statement was discussed and approved, you had arranged uh, for an interview over dinner with Baronel Stutzman. Um, which was fascinating to me, and I so appreciated you doing that. I thought it was excellent leadership. But uh, for those who don't know her, she's a 71-year-old, uh, sweet, uh, very articulate lady. She's a florist in the Northwest who's being sued for refusing to do uh, a same-sex wedding. So she was there, and you interviewed her and her attorney. Um, and it was, it was quite the story. She explained how 
uh, and very graciously so. She had served this particular customer for 10 years uh, in many ways, had a wonderful relationship, was happy to do it. it. She just couldn't lend her very detailed services, and she explained all that for this one particular context and even explained how the guy understood and came around and gave her a hug and so forth. Of course, since then, it's turned into something quite uh, quite controversial, quite costly to her. Um, how That's coming at us, too. So... Uh, talk a little bit about, Denny, how a Christian should think through such issues in the public square, b- being faithful disciples of Christ while seeking to honor the laws of the land, but then those laws are going and starting to go against us. Talk yeah, to pastors you know, about that. Romans 12 says, as far as it's up to you, be at peace with all men. So we're not supposed to be walking around with a big chip on our shoulder and looking with who we can you know, spoil mm-hmm. them for a fight over these things. That's not the <clears> point. Excellent. But... The thing is, and what we're finding, and what Baron L's story, I think, illustrates, is sometimes it comes to you. And sometimes challenges come to you, and there's a crucial moment of decision. Am I going to be faithful to Jesus in this moment, or am I going to go silent when I'm supposed to stand? And what is so encouraging about Baron L's story was all she did was when this guy came in, she'd known him for nine years, been serving this man for nine years. Uh, when he came in and asked her to make uh, a flower, do the flower arrangement for his wedding, she knew him well enough already to grab him by the hands. And she said, I can't do that because of my relationship with Jesus. Now, think about what it took for her to be able to do that. I mean, forget culture warfare here just, just for a second. This is a Christian being confronted with a situation that none of us wants to be in. Nobody wants to say to somebody that's your friend, I can't do that. Nobody wants to be in that position. But what does it take for her to say the right thing at that moment? It takes a a conscience formed by Scripture and that is already convinced of what the truth of God is and that is convinced and compelled that I cannot approve what God tells me I cannot approve. And so it's a moment of Christian discipleship um, that she was even able to grab his hands and say that mm-hmm. at that moment. Now, everything that else that's happened then has been a result of that, okay? But it was, a, it was a priorly formed Christian conviction that brought her to that moment. And I think that, our, frankly, a lot of us are just going to need that. A lot of, a lot of folks are, are heading for the hills right now. They're trying to figure out, how can I get away from this? And... Look, we're not spoiling for a fight here with the culture. But when the culture comes to us, we are going to have to stand. Amen. And we are going to have to be faithful. And we're going to have to bear witness to the goodness of God's design. And do so not because we hate the world, but because we love the world. That's right. That's excellent. Denny, thank you for that. Um, finally, last question. Um, as you said and encouraged us so well, pastors need to be equipped on these issues. Um, so let's talk some resources. Uh, what uh, if a pastor came to you and said, you know what, I'm, I'm aware that this is out there, but I haven't done detailed study. Uh, they didn't cover this in seminary. Um, what would be some key resources that, uh, that you would recommend? Uh, two books on homosexuality that any ordinary pastor and, and frankly any ordinary church member can read. Um, Kevin DeYoung's book. Um, what does the Bible teach about homosexuality? I think mm-hmm. is is probably the best introduction to the issues, conversant with everything that's going on in our culture, 
and just answers from a biblical perspective. The other book, short book, it's half testimonial and half um, just biblical perspective is Sam Mulberry's book, um, Is God Anti-Gay? Hmm. Um, those two books, t- to me, are a place to start. And there's one other book I would mention, and it's Rosaria Butterfield's book, The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert, hmm. which is is that one's more of a memoir of a of a person that God delivered out of a life of lesbianism and did so in just a miraculous way. So on homosexuality those those three books are probably where I would start. Can um, I just add one for, yeah, yeah, for yeah. guys uh, really wanting in depth. I know Kevin drew heavily on this book. Um, but for something much more technical, if guys are saying, you know, I, oh, I know really what it is. look through the text. Yeah, the Bible and homosexual practice <laughs> uh, by Robert Gagnon. Who also signed the statement. Yeah, he did. Um, I just think if you want uh, sort of the definitive uh, exegetical treatment of all the relevant texts with uh, relevant background as well, I just would, I know you're aware of it. I just want to throw it in for some of our eager guys who. Yeah, that's kind of the standard. That's the standard work, scholarly work that deals with the issue top to bottom. Absolutely. What about uh, transgender issues? Yeah, so on transgenderism, the uh, there hasn't been a lot available until very recently that I would even want to, to recommend. Uh, probably the first one I'd recommend is a little book um, called Transgender, written by Vaughn Roberts, uh, which is very short, almost like a booklet, and that you could just mm-hmm. give to, to anyone off the street who, who wants to understand what the Bible teaches about these things. There's another uh, recent book by um, Andrew Walker titled um, God and the Transgender Debate. That's probably the best uh, book-length uh, treatment of the issue that, that's out there right now. It's not a booklet. It's a little more substantial. And uh, that's the other one that I would recommend. Mm, excellent. Yeah, one more thing I'd, I'd, I'd recommend. Denny mentioned earlier that CBMW is putting together a trifold, and that is of the Nashville Statement, but also with the scriptural references. So that would be a, a certainly an outstanding reference for you guys, uh, but also to consider uh, how you can use that in your church to give to people so they can get a better understanding uh, and, and deeper study of this particular issue. So thank you guys for putting that together. That'll be a wonderful, wonderful resource, and that can just be ordered from CBMW. That's right. right. Yep, good. Okay. Well, Denny, first of all, thank you for being here and doing this. Uh, outstanding job. And, and not only for doing it, but just for responding to God who's put this on your heart mm, uh, to do this, which is going to serve churches, I think, for many, many years to come. The mm. Danvers statement is still being used from 87, still being used, still very helpful. I think this is going to have that kind of life as well. And you have really served Sovereign Grace Pastors, but you've really served the, the church as a whole. So so thank you so much. Well, thank you, and thank you for having me here. I appreciate it very much. Very grateful. And Jeff, thanks for uh, coming up with the idea and doing the interview and just letting me sit here and enjoy it like the uh, listeners will. So I'm greatly enjoy. appreciative of that. I enjoy. Thank you, Denny.